Well, good morning, Missio Church. My name is Chris Ferrugio, and my wife Karina and I are covenant members here. And as always, it is a privilege to be able to open God's word together with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 33. As we're working our way through the Psalms, we come to chapter 33. This is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man, From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Pray with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as you chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before you. In love you predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of your will to the praise of your glorious grace. Lord, it is good and pleasant and fitting to sing praises to you. Would you fill us with your spirit that we would overflow with praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What comes to mind when I ask you to think about your favorite song? For a lot of people, there's some sort of emotional or nostalgic response that comes. Because songs have the capacity to do something in our souls that that mere words don't do. 
And certainly this is the case when, when we're thinking about songs sung to and about God. Right? There's, there's something powerful about singing that draws out deep affections in the heart. One way to think about singing is, is to think about singing as truth married to beauty. Or as one pastor put it, truth glorified. It's that unique combination of, of truth and beauty, truth and goodness, truth and glory that produces something powerful. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards explains the purpose of singing. He says, the duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verses rather than prose and and singing rather than mere words and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. And this is at least one reason why we as Christians are called to sing praises over and over again in the Bible and particularly in the Psalms, which is a book of songs. To sing to and about God is one way we do warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil that that seeks to attack and blind us and distort right thinking about God and right feeling about God. And so as we come to Psalm 33, we see one of about 50 direct commands in the Bible to sing. And so here's the outline just to help you follow along. Verses one through three, we see a call to praise followed by foundations for praise in verses four through 19, culminating with a response of praise in verses 20 and 21, and finally a a prayer to preserve in in verse 22. So a call to praise the Lord. Verses one through three, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So five imperatives, five commands, five calls to praise. Shout for joy. Give thanks. Make melody. Sing a new song. Play skillfully. And who is to praise? Who is the call to? Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. The righteous and the upright are called to praise. Why? What is it about being righteous? What is it about being upright that demands a response of praise? And the answer is, the righteous are the ones who've been redeemed. The upright are the ones who've received unconditional love. When a person's status changes from dead to alive, from slave to son... Praise to the one who's responsible for that change is fitting, it's appropriate. So who is the one we ought to praise? Shout for joy in the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Make melody to him. Sing to him. Four times we're reminded who we are to praise. We sing to the Lord, for the Lord, in the Lord, because of the Lord. He is the source and consummation of our affections. It's truth about him that stirs our praise for him. And it's songs sung to him that's born out of relationship with him. He is the source and consummation of our praise. The one 
who creates praise and the one to whom praise is due. So we have a call to praise the Lord. And then this short but very important word in the next verse is for. Right? The reason it's important is because the psalmist is about to give us grounds or motivation for why we ought to do what he just called us to do, namely to praise. Why should we sing praises to the Lord? And the short answer is because of who he is. Sing praise to the Lord for, in verse 4, the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You see the attributes of God in those two verses. Who is the Lord? He is just and loving. His word and work are expressed and executed righteously and the world can barely contain his love. So what will cause us to praise the Lord? What causes praise to well up in our hearts for the Lord? It's knowing him. One pastor says it this way. He says, the heart can only go as high in worship as it can go deep in theology. We can only praise God as much as we know who he is. Right? If I ask you to write a, a glowing review about a book you've never read, a movie you've never seen, or a restaurant you've never eaten at, your review would be totally absent of any true heartfelt praise for the thing you're writing about. You never experienced it. Right? You might be able to write a nice review, but there would be no genuine true affection for that thing. Right? And in the same way, when the, the psalmist calls us to praise the Lord, we need to have seen him. We need to have touched him. We need to have tasted of him. We need to have been satisfied in him. If we are to give true and proper praise from our whole heart. So, so let's follow the psalmist and go just a little deeper into knowing who God is, that we might praise him as we ought. The text gives us three foundations for praise. Number one, we ought to praise the Lord because he is a powerful creator. Number two, we ought to praise the Lord because he is a sovereign ruler. And number three, we ought to praise the Lord because he is a loving savior. The Lord is a powerful creator. Verses six through nine, starting in verse six, says the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Down in verse nine, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This is, this is Genesis one language reminding us of, of who the creator is and how he did his work of creation. And our response and the response of every single person who has ever taken breath or ever will take breath can only and ever be one of awe. Verse eight, let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. We should all look at creation and worship the God of creation, worship the God who created all things. He has made a, a sort of cosmic temple so that we can dwell here and enjoy him and worship him so that we can, we can take dominion of what he's given us and, and worship him. The Lord is a powerful creator. Which, which brings us to the next one. The Lord is a, a sovereign ruler. And this means at least two things. Number one, he observes all things. And number two, he governs all things. The Lord observes all things. Look at verses 13 and 14. 
the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. These are sweeping statements of God's omniscience, the truth and reality that he sees and knows all things. How does he see and know all things? What is his vantage point? I work with a bunch of hunters and it's hunting season right now, right? And, and, and what they do is they, they gear up and they go out into the woods, but, but instead of just going out to the woods and, and just like sitting down on the ground behind a tree and, and, and looking for a deer, they, they put up a tree stand, right? Because on the ground, you, you see very, very limited things. You, you have a limited perspective, right? But you put up a tree stand about, I don't know, 10, 15 feet up in the tree, and now you can see more, right? You can see more of what you're looking for. Right? And, and the psalmist uses the same language of the Lord sitting up high to prove that he sees everything and everyone. It's because he sits enthroned in heaven, looking down, as it were, that nothing is hidden from his sight. He sees all our hidden acts of sin we hope nobody sees. And he sees all the things we do in love we wonder if anybody sees. He sees all his enemies' secret strategic plans. He sees everything. And not only does he see all our deeds, but he also governs and directs all things. Look back up at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord, shall, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And just like verses 13 and 14 are massive statements about God's omniscience, verses 10 and 11 are, are equally massive statements about God's providence, God's control over all things. And so bringing these two ideas together, we can say, because God sees all things, his omniscience, he sees to all things, his providence, or we could say because God knows all things, God governs, directs, plans, purposes all things with infinite wisdom. God's eyes are never blurred. Therefore, he is the competent ruler of all things. A nation or a people group may have, may have plans and purposes, but they're all subject to the Lord's plans and purposes. A king and his army may be great, but their strength and might are subject to the Lord's plans and purposes. Whatever the Lord wills will come to pass. Nothing can thwart his plans. Nobody can stop his purposes. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The Lord is a sovereign ruler. The two quick practical questions, maybe diagnostic questions for us. Number one, do you fear for the future of our nation or even our world? Are you anxious about the plans of our current and future leaders? Take comfort in this. The Lord sees the plans of the nations. The Lord knows the intentions of their leaders. And he will rule over them perfectly. And he will frustrate their plans if he wants. Nothing will be accomplished by any man, woman, group, organization, political party, or nation that is outside of God's will. Number two, are you placing your hope in our nation, president, or some political party to work for your agenda, to protect you, to save you in some sense? 
Take heed in this. Be warned by this. These things are weak and poor substitutes for the strong hand of the Lord. Though they look strong, these things cannot save you. These things will not give you what you need most. The Lord's counsel stands forever and his plans will be accomplished, not just in past generations, not just in our generation, but in every generation. We are called to praise God because he is a powerful creator and he is a sovereign ruler. And lastly, we're called to praise God supremely because he is a loving savior. Most of the psalm has been exalting in God's providence over nations and peoples, over kings and warriors, in order to keep us from two things. To keep us from fearing the godless pursuits of worldly men, and to keep us from hoping in worldly things. And now, the psalmist turns to who we ought to fear and who we ought to hope in. Right? Don't fear kings and nations and rulers. Don't hope in kings and nations and rulers. Who do we fear? Who do we hope in? Look at verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Who do you fear? Do you fear God or do you fear man? Who or what do you hope in? Do you hope in God or do you hope in war horses, things that promise salvation but can never deliver? If you fear and hope in God, then then verse 19 is some glorious news. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death. So what's the upshot of rightly placed fear and hope? It's salvation. It's deliverance from death. There's great joy in knowing that death will not have the final say. What is the foundation under all of this? What guarantee do you or I have that we really will be delivered from death? You might be be sitting there and thinking, well, yeah, I I fear God sometimes, but but other times I fear man, or or, or most of the times I I hope in God, but sometimes I hope hope in other things. I'm I'm fickle, I I wander, my trust is not perfect all the time. So, So what's the foundation? How do I know that God will deliver me? And the answer is the steadfast love of the Lord. It's an unconditional love that initiates, accomplishes, and preserves salvation. Or as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's a special love that the Lord has for his people whom he has chosen for his inheritance. It's a love that sent God the Son to become a man, live a perfect life, suffer and die at the hands of evil men with evil plans so that he would raise three days later from the dead, demonstrating his power over sin, Satan, and death in order to purchase a people for his own possession. That's the love that undergirds, that produces and provides foundation for our confidence that we will one day be delivered from death. Praise God for he is a powerful creator, a sovereign ruler, and a loving savior. He has power over everything from the heavens above to the hearts of individual people like you and me. And now the the call from verse one to rejoice in the Lord 
culminates in a response of praise in verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. So notice the the plural language the psalmist uses. Our soul, our help, our shield, our heart, we trust. This is corporate. It's an altogether declaration and response of praise of the people of God together. And there's something beautiful and appropriate about the people of Christ gathering together in the name of Christ, under the word of Christ, in the power of the spirit of Christ, to worship and praise and sing songs to the person of Christ. Our time of praise is is not a warm-up or a buffer to make sure everyone gets here before the sermon. It is itself soul-satisfying, Christ-exalting, truth-teaching, worship to the living God. Now, this is great for people who don't go through suffering, don't go through trials, right? It's easy to praise God when life is good, right? But again, you might be thinking, what about me? What about the suffering I'm going through? What about the hard times that I've, I've been dealing with? Is it possible for our hearts to truly be glad in him when we go through hard times? What role does singing play in our lives when the last thing our souls want to do is wait on the Lord? And the answer in Psalm 33 and the answer we see over and over again in the scriptures is that singing many times is the very thing that sustains us in our suffering. How do we wait for the Lord? How do we produce the fruit of faithful waiting? How do we walk through suffering as Christians? We get our hearts glad in him. We rejoice him. We praise him. We give thanks to him. We sing a new song to him because he is a powerful creator, because he is a sovereign ruler, because he is a loving savior. These things feed the root of gladness to produce praise in us when we're going through suffering. It's easy to sing to the Lord when life is good. There's not necessarily anything uniquely Christian about that. But can you and I say our soul waits for the Lord for our heart is glad in him? Can you sing in the middle of suffering? Can you sing when the diagnosis is cancer? Can you sing when there's tension in your marriage? Can you sing when your teenager won't talk to you? Can you sing when the miscarriage happens? Can you sing when your desire for a spouse continues unfulfilled? Can you sing when COVID messes up your plans for work and school? Can you sing in 2020? Regardless of what you're going through right now, allow singing to sustain you in suffering. Allow praise to preserve you in pain. And singing isn't only for those suffering, right? Life is hard for a lot of people right now, but there is coming a day when God will wipe away every tear. 
when death shall be no more, when there will be no mourning, crying, or pain, which means there's coming a day when suffering will be forever gone. And the praise of King Jesus will be our song for all eternity. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song. This, this is the song that we will sing when we see Jesus. Right? They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God for, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. May singing sustain you in suffering now as you look forward to the day when singing will follow suffering then. May singing sustain you in suffering now as you look forward to the day when singing will follow the end of suffering then. And finally, the psalmist offers a a prayer for God to preserve his people in verse 22. He prays, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Friends, it's through Jesus that all things were created. It's Jesus who sits on the throne and rules and reigns over nations and peoples. It's Jesus who's the loving Savior who ransomed us by his blood in order to deliver us from death. He is Lord over creation. He is Lord over the nations. He is Lord over death. Therefore, Rejoice in him. He is worthy of our singing. He is worthy of our praise. Would you pray with me? God, we we worship your name for who you are and what you've done in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us foundations to praise you that as we know you and touch you and see you and are satisfied in you, that, that you would cause our hearts to well up in praise as we walk through hard times. Lord, I pray that you would do that in our lives, that, that the steadfast love of the Lord will give us confidence that you are with us to the end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.